You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Good morning everyone and another reminder, good morning to you if you're up in the atrium space or in the cafe church downstairs or you're watching on Instagram or on Facebook, good morning again to you and if you're a visitor here this morning, all the regulars will give you a big round of applause to make you feel welcome. You may look at this this morning and say, oh, this is a provocative title, but I want to tell you this morning that everything is yours. It is already yours. It is not yours because you're great or because you're marvelous or because you're wonderful. It is yours because it is His. It is yours because it is God's. And yet sometimes we go through our lives and we don't experience the everythingness at work in our lives. Sometimes we're stuck like Sisyphus in Hades and in Greek mythology. And some of you will have heard of Sisyphus, I'm sure. So Sisyphus was condemned to Hades and for all eternity he was to push a rock up a hill. He was condemned because of his pride and his conceit and his arrogance. And he had to push a rock up a hill all of eternity. But every time he got to the top of the hill, the rock would roll back down. And he'd have to start rolling it back up again. It can be a bit like that in our lives, can't it? Otto, would you do me a favor? Would you just turn on the general volume? Is it's, I can hear myself like, yeah! It's like a goldfish bowl. That's a little bit better. Is that a bit better? Yeah. It's a bit, a bit easier time. Okay, thank you. Um, so Sisyphus is condemned by by Zeus into Hades to roll this rock up for all eternity and sometimes I want to say I feel a little bit like Sisyphean like I'm stuck in a Sisyphean tragedy every time we seem to solve one problem guess what another problem shows up every time we resolve one issue another problem solves it's like fighting the Hydra another reference to Greek mythology there for you every time you cut off one head two more heads grow you begin to wonder if everything, if I'm on the side of victory, if I'm on God's side, why are these things happening in my life? And I was thinking about this recently. I was thinking about a guy um, from the Marvel Universe, believe it or not. No, I'm, I'm being really trendy in all of my in all of my characters this morning from the Marvel Universe. Does anybody know who this is? Anyone? Great. An absolute who? It is Thanos. On the who said Thanos? Put your hand up. Well done, you got Thanos. The Thanos reference, Michael's Hollywood reference. And some of you are going, who's Thanos? Is he from Cork or what? No, Thanos is a character in the Marvel Universe. It's from the Marvel comics. He's a character. And in the, this character, he, he shows up in the movie Endgame, which is one of the Marvel movies. I mean, they're total rubbish, but royal entertainment, okay? And utterly confusing, but they're completely not rubbish. Anyway, so I'm watching this movie, and this guy Thanos, he has to do a thing called the snap. And if he, he, if he gets, he has this glove. And into this glove has to fit five infinity stones. As it happens, I have a glove I prepared a little earlier here with me. I want to say thank you to Timoteus uh, Pouarek for this. He brought it in when he heard I was talking about Thanos. So Thanos had to collect what were called the five infinity stones, which are on the knuckles of the glove. And then he would put on the glove, well, he has the glove on him all the time, and he has to snap his fingers. But I can't stop him because the glove is too hard. So he's wearing this glove, I know it's a bit mad, okay? And when he clicks his fingers, when he snaps his finger, half of all life in the universe disappears, disintegrates. Instantly when he clicks his fingers. And I was praying recently and I thought about, wouldn't it be great, brothers and sisters, if prayer was like that? That we could get on our knees and click 
take our fingers and all of our problems would disappear. Wouldn't that be amazing? Some people tell us, we can, I don't think we can do it. I would love to just say, Lord, let it be gone. And click my fingers and it would all be gone. But then something struck me about these problems. And I use the word advisedly because compared to the lives of some, I truly have very few problems. Compared to the lives of some Christians alive today, my problems are really very small. And that's the reality of it. Or to the lives of Christians who've lived for thousands of years. But something struck me and that was this. If I was to click my finger and make all of my problems disappear, my three sons would disappear. <laughs> my wife would disappear. She said, hey, man, do that. Now for some of you husbands and wives out there, that might be no bad thing. I'm not holding it against you. But if I was to click my fingers and make all the problems disappear, all of my friends would disappear. My home would disappear. My job would disappear. My life itself would probably disappear if all my problems were to be there. And I would be left with the most boring life in the universe. Because anything of any meaning and any value that is in my life would disappear when I clicked my fingers. It is because they have meaning and value in my life that they are problems in the first place. Are you with me? Yes. Now, Ellen was going to do a live YouTube video to explain all the problems that she has in me. And when I refer to problems, I'm not talking about problems. I'm talking about problems. Yeah. Those little irritants that can follow us around in our lives, like little midges biting your head on a summer's evening. I don't know that midges in continental Europe, they certainly have been learned. So if you were to do that, so I began to think, there's something wrong with the way that I'm thinking if I was to snap my fingers and my palms. So maybe, maybe, just maybe, those problems that I have, A, aren't all that big, and B, maybe they have a purpose. Maybe, just maybe, there's a purpose in them. I want to think just for a second about perspective. Let's look at the perspective of our lives. Have you ever been in a walk, driven past or walked past a heated argument between people? Like you walk down the street and two people are having an argument and it seems to you really easy to solve because you know they're arguing about something that's stupid but because they're really up close and personal to it it can seem very complicated and very hot tempered to them but you at a distance actually have a different perspective and I'd like us just for a moment to change perspective on our problems and on our lives just for a second. This is a photograph that was taken by the Voyager 1 spacecraft on the 14th of February 1990. This photograph was taken just uh, 38 minutes before uh, Voyager's cameras were turned off forever. Voyager spacecraft had explored the solar system. It's now heading into what's called interstellar space. It's left the solar system. But just before they shut everything down, NASA sent a command to Voyager spacecraft to turn around and take a photograph of the inner solar system as it was finishing up its final turn. It took the shot and it sent the photographs back to NASA. They didn't know what they would expect. But in the middle of all of these photographs, this photograph comes up. And as it turns out, this is a photograph taken. And you see that little dot there in the middle? Uh -huh. See that little dot there? That's the planet Earth. That's the planet Earth from six, I know it's hard for you if you're watching on YouTube or on Facebook, but it is there, you're going to have to trust me, a little dot, less than the size of a pixel in this photograph as it turns out. This little dot is Earth from six billion kilometers away. And Carl Sagan, who's a very famous American Australian, uh, astronomer, an atheist, I can't get over how an astronomer, personally, that's just my own thing, it's just when you look up the heavens, 
You're like, I just I can't imagine it, but that's another day's conversation. But Karen Sagan, when he was talking about this photograph, he published this photograph on behalf of NASA, and this is what he said. He said, look again at that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. That's us on that dot from six billion kilometers away. Every person you've ever known and ever loved lived on that dot. Every war that was ever fought that you know about happened on that dot. Every ruler and emperor and tyrant who ever ruled one square bloodied inch of planet Earth lived on that dot. Napoleon and, and Caesar and um, Adolf Hitler and Joseph Stalin, all of these leaders who were tyrants and brutal dictators lived on that dot. Everyone. So for the purpose of just a little bit of context about our lives, for the purpose of a little bit of perspective about our lives, listen to what Karen Sagan says about that dot. But better, listen to what the scripture says about that dot. I like what Karen Sagan says, but I much prefer what the scripture says. This is what it says. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and its inhabitants too. You belong to God. You belong. You are his possession. You, everything in it. When it refers to the, the earth is the Lord's, the earth, the world and all of its inhabitants too are the Lord's. And it's into that perspective I'd like to introduce an idea that, from my opinion, is an undeniable but sometimes very uncomfortable theme in the New Testament. And this is the theme, that sometimes the things that happen in our lives actually do us good. And escaping them isn't always God's purpose. Sometimes God is showing his faithfulness in the trial and in the difficulty. And sometimes conquering doesn't mean escaping, sometimes conquering means standing up in the fight. That's sometimes what conquering means. I want to look at, for instance, the simple passage of scripture, you know it all. It's the one where James takes some drugs and tells us all that we should be happy. This is the one. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, I, I, I was in school with young kids when we were growing up, and nobody ever said, when the teacher said, what would you like to be when you grow up? What would you like to have when you grow up? Nobody said, perseverance. Nobody says that. They want to be successful and famous, but nobody wants to do perseverance. Forget the fact that you can't be successful and famous without having perseverance in the first place. But I love he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you, whenever you come to face and you face trials of many kinds. Because they rarely come in just the one kind, do they? A trial will come in different kinds. There'll be a health trial, there'll be a financial trial, there'll be a, a situational trial, there'll be a relational trial, there'll be a career trial, there'll be a house trial. There's all different types of trials and we face them all the time in our lives. We face them every day and every week of our lives. And he says, rejoice, be glad, hallelujah, I'm going through a trial. Are you sick or something, Michael? You're not supposed to be rejoiced, you're supposed to be going, get me out of here. Yet I pray, God, deliver me. And he does deliver us from evil. Would anyone say amen? amen. amen. He delivers us from evil all the time. Hallelujah. But sometimes we are in a difficult situation. And it's what God wants to work out in our lives. And we don't like that. Because he goes on to say this. Let perseverance finish its work so that he may be mature. So that we may be mature, complete, and not lacking anything. 
If you are not lacking anything, what have you got? You've got everything. If you're not lacking anything, you then have everything. Everything you need to live the life God has called you to do. I love this term mature. I have a mature tree in my garden. Now we think that maturity just comes in years. Aiden, I love your maturity. Happy, happy spiritual birthday to you again. But the thing about maturity is this. Aiden is not a mature Christian believer because he's just hung around for 18 years. He's a mature Christian believer because he has gone through trials and difficulties and troubles. He's gone through sorrows and tests and he's still standing. Amen. That is why Hallelujah. he is a mature believer. Are you with me? Yeah. I have a mature tree in my yard. I have two of them. Beautiful. Planted them 27 years ago. And, and I love them. One of them was a cedar tree. We planted it. It was like that size. A little bush. It was a tiny thing. And no, it's huge. It's way over, way over our house. It's not a mature tree because it just stayed in the same place. It's a mature tree because it's been through drought. It's been through flood. It's been through storm. It's been through freeze. It's been through heat. That's what makes it mature. And if you want to be mature, you must also be tested and tried to be mature. Would anyone say amen? <laughs> Any bit of good news for us this morning, Michael? Loads of good news for you this morning. Because I want you to reframe. I want to look at reframing our lives. You might sometimes see a, a photographer and he's kind, of, he's kind of shaping things up to kind of just say, yeah, this is what I want in the frame. Well, this, in my opinion, brothers and sisters, is what we as Christian believers want and need in our frame. I'm going to look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, and the Corinthian church are having a few disputes over who's the best apostle. That's it. They're having an argument between, is it Apollos? Is it Paul? Is it Peter? And they're all kind of siding with different factions as though they were enemies, but they're not. They're all unified. They're all part of the one church, but they're still having arguments over who's the best preacher, or who's the best teacher, or who's the best apostle. And this is what he says to them. He says, sorry, he reframes it, and this is what he says. He says, don't boast about following a particular human leader. Don't boast about following Leo Varadkar or, or um, Emmanuel Macron. Or don't follow about following Justin Trudeau or something like that. He says, for everything belongs to you. They're all there for you. And these speakers are there for you, whether it's Paul or Apollos or Peter. Because some people say that Paul, he's such a brilliant writer and he has such incredible insights. And people said about Apollos that he was so charismatic. He was the most amazing orator. He could hold a whole, a whole crowd under his power. He was just an amazing speaker. People loved to hear him speak. And then there was Peter. Peter was so dynamic. When you were around Peter, you didn't know what was going to happen next. Peter saw the resurrected Jesus face to face. He was around with Jesus. He fell away from Jesus and he was restored. It's incredible. Peter was so amazing. And Paul says, it doesn't matter, guys. They're all for you. Everything belongs to you. You don't belong to them. They belong to you. And not only says that, whether it's Peter or whether it's Paul or Paulus or Peter, he goes on to say, are the world, are life, are death, or the present, or the future, everything belongs to you. What? When they talk about what? Everything. The world belongs to you. Life belongs to you. In Christ you have new life. That life belongs to you. Whatever happens to you in life belongs to you. It is yours. It serves a purpose in your life. Life. And what about death? Never a popular subject. He says, and the minute Michael says death, half the people in the church said, no Facebook and Instagram collapsed and 
about death. But Paul is saying that death belongs to you. Death serves you. What? Yes, death serves you. How does it serve you? Well, it serves you by reminding you that this life is just temporary. It reminds you that the things that we get so wound up and head up about, sometimes aren't all that worth getting wound up and head up about. It reminds us that we're coming to the end of this life and we need to put our priorities right. To quote one speaker, he said, death serves us by making us serious and making us fruitful. It makes our lives fruitful because we know there's a time coming and we do need to get on with serving God and living our lives for him. And of course, death serves you in this incredible and important way. It will deliver you into the eternal, magnificent presence of Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever. Death will serve you. And what about the present? What about the problems that you have right now? What about the, what about the, 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 the issues that are dealing with now? The, the blockage that won't go away. The breakthrough that you can't get. What about the longed for desire that isn't fulfilled? All those things which are in the present. They also serve you. They're for you. They will work in your favor, not against you. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Work for you, not against you. The present and the future. For so many people, brothers and sisters, the future is frightening. Because when we put our heads on the pillow at night, the enemy says you don't have enough. Or what was that ache you felt in the bottom of your back? Or gosh, that headache won't seem to go away. Or you lie down in bed at night and you think, oh no, we don't have enough prepared for the future. I, I'm feeling sick and maybe the house is going to be taken. All these things come into our head. But Paul is saying the future is yours. Everything belongs to you. Everything. Everything in your life belongs to you. Now why does it belong to you? Because it belongs to Jesus Christ. That's why it belongs to you. He owns the world. We looked at that. He owns life. Would anyone say amen? amen? He owns death. He has the keys of death and of the grave. Hallelujah. Muhammad doesn't have it. He doesn't have the keys of the grave. Buddha doesn't have the keys of the grave. Jesus Christ has the keys of the grave. Amen. Of death and of hell itself. He owns the present. He is the God of now. He is sovereign over the universe. Everything that is in the world now he owns. And he knows and owns the future. Is your future frightening? Don't worry about it. God knows your future. He owns your future. He holds the future. So you need to be afraid of it. It's yours. Because it's his. Paul continues on this theme in one of the best chapters in the Bible. Now I know many of you have read this chapter many times before, and that's okay. And I've probably spoken about it a couple of times in the last couple of years, but I just love it and I keep returning to it. Paul's writing to the, to the Roman Christians, and he's telling them all about what God has done. And he gets to the, perhaps what's known as the Great Eight, Romans chapter 8. And he begins to unpack all the thoughts that went before that talked about how God had justified his people, set them free from their sins, given them an eternal future, given them power to live the life he's called them to live. He spells all this out, and then he gets to this incredible, beautiful writing in Romans chapter 8. And this, sorry, do you know what? I forgot that in the last service as well, didn't I? Didn't I forgot that as well? It's okay. And I wouldn't miss the point I wanted to make earlier, because you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. It's all yours because it's all his. Amen. Amen. Sorry about that, lads. Quick up the back there. Then we go forward again. We go forward to Romans chapter 8. And here's what Paul writes. He says, 
What can we say about such wonderful things as these? As these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Amen. If God is for us, Hallelujah. who can be against us? And he's asking like a mafia boss. If God is for us, who can be against us? Huh? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is self-evident. No one can be against us. If God is for us, no one can be against us. They can try. They can interfere. They can annoy. They can shout from the sidelines. They can whisper things in your ears, suggest things to your heart and to your mind, but they can't be against you because God is for you. Victory is yours. If you stay with Christ, victory is yours. Would anyone say amen? amen. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? If he gave us his son, if he gave us the thing that matters the most to him, won't he give us everything else? Like, doesn't everything else pale in insignificance by comparison to the sacrifice God is giving us, God made in giving us his own son? So why would he hold back anything else? He's going to give us everything else. The son who was victorious has won the lot, and know that lot is ours. We partake in the spoils of the victory that he won at Calvary. Hallelujah. We will rise again because he rose again. Read your New Testament. It is all over it like a rash. He goes on to say this. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? No. We can see love in a couple of ways here. And it's important that we see it in a couple of ways. We can see love as affection. God's love for us. That he is, has an affection towards us. What we would refer to as a filial love in Greek. That God has that type of love for us. It also could be his agape love. His unconditional love. It's the love that, bring, that still loves us regardless of the conditions. You see, love that is conditional is not unconditional love. Are you with me? Yeah. Am I going backwards there? If there is a condition on it, it is not unconditional love. And that's the love he's talking about here. It's active, it's dynamic, it's powerful, it's real. It's not some emotion, some misty cloud of God's love. It is practical and real and dynamic and worked out in our lives. And he goes on to say, doesn't mean that he no longer loves us because we have trouble or calamity or we're persecuted or we're hungry or we're destitute or we're in danger or we're threatened with death. Does that mean that God no longer loves us? If this became part of any of our realities, would that be an evidence for the withdrawal of God's love? No. Thank you, Tom. No. It wouldn't say anything about God's love. And this is not some rhetorical flourish that causes it. Yeah, I shall write trouble of calamity or hunger or death this is not some glorious piece of Shakespearean writing that he's doing. This was his lived life. This was his personal experience. You see, Paul, the apostle, is writing this. He's not some kind of 
two-dimensional cardboard cutout apostle that kind of we just read about and actually everything was great in his life and he was constantly happy and victorious all the day. Though remarkably, he was incredibly joyful despite all that was going on for him. This is a man who sat to write with a sore back, very sore back, from being beaten with rods, from being whipped. He was a man who suffered with arthritis, they believe, in his hands from the fact that he'd been out in the weather so often spreading the gospel. He's a man who went without clothes. You can read all about it in, in Second Corinthians. So he's talking about his real lived life. Moreover, he's talking about the lived life of Jesus Christ, our Savior. The human life of Jesus Christ, our Savior, had plenty of trouble. It had calamity. He was tried unjustly and condemned unjustly by a Roman court. He was persecuted. He went hungry for 40 days and for 40 nights for us. He was destitute. He had no place to lay his head. He said it himself. He was in continuous danger. And he was threatened with death. Not only was he threatened, but he had and went through that death so that we might live. This is not prose. This is not poetry. This is the lived life reality of thousands, I can honestly say millions of Christians over thousands of years. And yet they are all victorious despite their circumstances. They're victorious because those very same situations is what God used in their lives. They knew him as faithful in the middle of their trial. They knew his presence when they were struggling. You see, if you go to a funeral at the end of this week, and they get up to give the eulogy at the end of the meeting, and this is the eulogy they take up, good afternoon, you're welcome to Uncle Shawnee's funeral. I just want to say about my Uncle Shawnee, he ducked every problem in his life. He never had any issues. He was always healthy, strong, and that's the fact we can't figure out even when he died. He was all <laughs> so strong. He was rich and he never had any problems and all of his relationships were brilliant. Um, so, and then he died. Nobody shows up at a eulogy for a life like that. But you know people show up for? Uncle Shawnee walked with a limp all of his life. He gave up his time and of his energy and built up other people. Uncle Shawnee went through very difficult trials, but he came out the other side because God was with him. Now that's a story worth telling. Your testimony will sometimes be, God has delivered me. But your testimony will often be, God was with me in the midst of that trial, in the midst of that storm. Will anybody say Amen. And Paul goes on to say this. As the scriptures say, he quotes Psalm 44, verse 22. For your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. He's quoting the psalm. And the psalmist had written and said, Lord, you know what's going on in our lives. You know what's in our hearts. We don't worship idols. We only worship you, God. And yet still we're being killed every day. Was that evidence of God's love being done? Not in the least of it. If you read the story of Christians who were persecuted in China and persecuted in Russia, just bring it into the 20th century, China and Russia, and even today still in China, Christians who died under those regimes, God didn't depart them. They stood the test of faith. They were the mountainous crown. God was with them all the way through. And he goes on to say this. No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors. We sang it a while ago. We'll be singing it again in a minute. We are more than conquerors. And yet, strangely enough, when we face those trials and face those situations, we don't feel like conquerors, do we? Sometimes we look at our situations and go, if I'm supposed to be a conqueror, how come this is going this way? How come that is going that way? 
conquered. And I think it is the way that we see the idea of being a conqueror is sometimes backwards in our minds. We think it must be always thoroughly victorious in our present. But brothers and sisters, we as Christian believers live in the struggle of the immediate and the ultimate. The question is, do we want our immediate comfort or our ultimate good? What would you prefer? If you were advising your child and they said, I have a choice between my immediate comfort or my ultimate good, what would you tell them to choose? I think you'd probably tell them to choose their ultimate good. If not, then I think we need to have a chat done with the whole chapter afterwards, all right? Is that okay? We can't get caught. I love it. This is one of the most baffling passages of scriptures to the devil. Because we are more than conquerors through Christ. Who through him who loves us, through Christ who loves us. And it's not we're conquerors in our own right or because we can psych ourselves up or because we can live in denial or bury our heads in the sand. No, we are conquerors because he is the conqueror. Will anyone say amen? amen. I love this. Matthew Henry, according to Luke Weeks, here's what he said. He said, the best way to baffle the malicious designs of the enemy against us is to be driven by God to them. Driven to God, driven by them to God. Sorry, driven by them to God. The, the way when trials and troubles come into our lives, the best response to the enemies attacking your life is to be driven to God by them. It's to be driven to your knees to pray for deliverance. Then you totally frustrate the enemy. Then the enemy says, I tried to attack him, and all he does is he gets closer to Jesus Christ. Blah! I'm going to have to come up with a better idea than this. And that's how you baffle the malicious designs of the enemy against you. Here's what John Piper says about the passage about being conquerors. I love what he says because it's so true and it would be true in your life. It's true in my life. This is what he says. He says, if you're a conqueror, your enemies are dead at your feet. If you are more than a conqueror, more than a conqueror, your enemies get up from the dead and they serve you. Amen. They serve you. You, imagine if all of the trials and difficulties in your life, if all the things that aren't going 100% right, if all of the problems and difficulties that we encounter were to serve you, what kind of a faith would you have? If you viewed them as serving you, no matter what comes through the gates, no matter what comes through the doors of your life, if you were to say, you know what, this situation is going to serve me because God is in the situation. He may deliver me. Would anyone say amen? amen. But he may also sustain me. Would anyone say amen? amen. He may change me. Would anyone say amen? amen? If you can live like that, if you can take that on board, I believe that we will end up with what I would call bulletproof faith. Because no matter what comes at us in our lives, if we believe that everything is ours and that everything can be turned by God for our good, what did Paul say a little bit earlier in Romans chapter 8? He said, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He causes all things, not some things, not the odd thing, not the occasional thing. He causes all things. You mean he causes our disappointments? All things. You mean he causes our distractions? All things. You mean he causes our defeats? All things. He causes all things to work together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Amen. Have you got trials? Have you got problems? If you don't have problems, you're not alive. We will perform CPR on you in a few moments later, okay? 
Have you got a trial or a problem? How's the book today? We stand and we pray. We bring them before the Lord and say, Lord, bring your very best through that for my life. Let me remember that everything in this situation is serving me according to your purpose. I'm going to ask the band when they come up. We're going to sing in a second. We're going to throw one last scripture before we do in a second. Here's the last scripture. This is what Jesus said. And if Jesus said it, as one preacher I once heard said, if Jesus said it, I tend to agree with him. This is what he said. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Here on earth. You're not, many, you're not in heaven yet. When you're in heaven, no more trials, no more sorrows. When you've passed into the great glory, no more trials, no more sorrows. But here on earth, and by the way, for the record, we are here on earth this morning. You will have many trials and sorrows. And then he says, John 16, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Hallelujah. And if he overcame, we can overcome. Amen. If he defeated death, we will defeat death. If he has conquered, we are also conquerors. We are more than conquerors. Because when we see those trials and troubles, we realize that God can use these for our good and our best in our lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. stand with me? We're going to pray. And my prayer this morning is really simple. If you have a trial or a problem or a situation that you face this morning, if you've got, if you've got a problem in your life, would you raise your hand? You have a problem this morning? Something that you really would like to pray about. Say, Lord, I just need to pray about this. This thing is bugging me. Lord, would you help me in this? If you've got a trial or a situation, would you raise your other hand? Would you raise your other hand if you've got more trials and troubles? Maybe you've got more than one problem. Let's raise our hands and let's, let's think about this for a moment. We're going to bring these things before the Lord in just a moment. We're going to pray for his deliverance. Would anyone say amen? amen. We're going to pray for his victory. Would anyone say amen? amen. We're going to pray for his power would anyone say amen? amen but we're also going to pray for his best to come to pass in our lives amen, amen. let's sing we are more than conquerors we are Thank you, Lord, for the situation that you have placed us in. in 
know our lives. But Lord, you know our lives. You know the trials we face. You know the difficulties that we encounter, Lord. We ask you, Lord, in whatever way you choose, would you bring your deliverance into our lives? We pray, oh God, that you would bring your power into our lives and make it evident, Lord. Bring your healing into our lives. Bring the breakthrough in our lives, we pray. Lord, above all else, may we have the long-term view of our lives, Lord. May we have an eternal view. Where like Paul, we will be able to say these light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all, Lord. Lord, we want to know your eternal glory far outweighing all our troubles in our lives. Would you say amen? amen. Lord, we bring our lives before you. We thank you, Lord, that we are conquerors because you conquer. Lord, we thank you that we will rise again because you rose again. Lord, I thank you that we will defeat death because you defeated death. I thank you, Lord, this morning that as we go from this building, we realize that everything is ours because everything is yours, Lord. Lord, may we walk in full citizenship. May we walk in full airdom within your kingdom, Lord. May we walk in every blessing you plan for us every purpose you work out for us lord and bring us to your desired end and lord i pray like woman says lord will you cause everything 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 to work together for our good for our good as we love and honor and serve you we pray that in jesus mighty name one last prayer lord will you bless us and keep us you watch over us and keep us and smile upon us and let your face shine upon us. Lord, would you lift up your countenance upon us and give us our, your peace. As we go into this coming week, we pray in Jesus' name and God's people said for one last time. God bless you, brothers and sisters. And may God go with you as you go into your coming week. Please do come. Please do have a cup of coffee. Or some